Were you glad to be here this morning? Say amen. 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 This morning, um, talking about the Israel trip, it's hard to imagine, but three years ago this month, I went to Israel for the first time, the only time that I've been there. And three years later, it is a trip that still, um, I dare say there's not a day that goes by that I don't draw from that trip in some capacity. It changed the way that I read the Bible. It changed the way that I viewed things just seeing firsthand the place where Christ was raised, where he lived, where he died. Very impactful trip. However, there was another impactful part of that trip that uh, made a difference in my life in that I had been introduced to, but really it was on that trip that I was able to get to know uh, Dr. Marcus Merritt. He became a dear friend after that trip and has continued to be throughout the last several years. Um, and God has used him greatly. He served on the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. He's pastored, uh, does church consulting, and he is the director of the D-Men program, the doctoral and ministry program at Luther Rice University in Georgia. And so he has been a friend of many pastors, not just myself, for years he served and still does to some extent, helping pastors and churches that are struggling with conflict. And God has used him in a tremendous way. And so it is my honor to introduce to you Dr. Marcus Merritt, and I pray that you'll listen to him. If you would this morning, help us make him welcome. Thank you so much. Pastor Randy, I love you and appreciate your leadership and appreciate your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to John chapter number four. And as you're turning to John chapter number four this morning, just say what uh, indeed it, pleasure it is to be here at North Etowah Baptist Church. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to stand in your pulpit. Uh, I do so with great fear and trembling, and uh, I appreciate the tremendous honor as you're turning to John chapter 4, uh, I'll tell you about one quick thing uh, of all the, the trips I've made, the, the most memorable thing that ever happened, happened on our trip. And I'm sure you know the story, you'll remember the story I'm about to relay. Uh, we were going down to uh, the River Jordan, and we were going to uh, baptize one another. Now keep in mind, we've got 30 pastors, it's just pastors on this trip. And it's all guys, all pastors, and we're going to go down and we're going to baptize. The plan was I was going to give a little 10-minute devotion right by the shores of the, sea, uh, right by the, shores of the, the Jordan River. And then we were going to go in and be baptized. Uh, as we're changing into our robes, uh, a um, Jewish tour guide, not ours, a, from a different group, a group from uh, Central America, but their Jewish tour guide came to me because I was the leader of the group. And he said, excuse me, sir, I've got two gentlemen in my group that want to be baptized. Do you have any ordained men in your group that could baptize them? I don't have any in my group. And I said, well, I've got 30. <laughs> I said, but my question is, I mean, I don't know who these people are. Are they even saved? I mean, I don't, don't want to baptize somebody that's not saved. I said, are they born again? And remember, the guy's Jewish. He says, I don't know. And I said, okay, um, all right, tell them to come and speak to me. He said, oh, one more thing. He said, they don't speak any English. <laughs> so here, they want to be baptized. I don't know if they're saved or not, and they don't speak any English. We had one gentleman in our group, uh, Pastor Javier Chavez, that 
was actually sponsored to come along with us for a different reason, and he's from Peru, and Spanish is his native tongue. So I went and grabbed Javier, and I said, Javier, we have a change of plans. I said, I'm not going to do a devotion. I said, you're going to take your Bible. You're going to stand by the shores of the Jordan River, and you're going to preach the gospel, and you're going to give an invitation, and you're going to make sure these two gentlemen understand the gospel message. Javier said, I'm, man, I'm all over that. So we stand, we're standing beside the river. All of us are crowded around, and Javier is preaching the gospel in Spanish. Now, Pastor Randy and I don't have a clue what he was saying, but we were saying, amen, that's right, brother, yes, amen. And uh, when he gets through, he looks at the two gentlemen, and he says something in Spanish, and they, they drop their heads, and they, they acknowledge, and they say, see, sí, see, sí, and then they began to pray, and we understood what was going on. The Holy Spirit of God captured our hearts. We knew what was happening. And this man, who was a surgeon in his country, and it was his son that was with him, heard the clear gospel presentation, bowed their heads uh, on the shore of the River Jordan, prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and immediately were taken by the hand by Pastor Javier Chavez, were led into the river, and there they were baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the kind of things that can happen in Israel. This morning from John chapter number four, I want to talk about another unlikely person that was brought into the family of faith. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning on the subject of carrying on the father's business. Carrying on the father's business. And in John chapter number four, in verse number three, the Bible tells us that Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now, let me just pause right there. And as the pastor said, when you go, it, it, it brings this to life. Between Jerusalem and uh, Galilee is Samaria. It's, it's the land in between those two, those, those two places. Uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee and Jerusalem, it's 75 or 80 miles apart. You don't realize it's that far. But in between there is, is Samaria. So Jesus has to go through Samaria. And the Bible says that uh, now... He came to a city of Samaria, verse 5, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was about the sixth hour or 12 noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you will look at verse number 13 with me. Remember, Jesus is sitting by the well. In my mind, I can see Jesus motioning with his hand as he points to that well, and he says, 
Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. You know how the story goes from here, how the conversation deepens and how uh, Jesus talks about her failures and her family life and her situation. And the Bible tells us that as they're having this conversation, the disciples had gone away to buy food. Remember that they come back. They come back while Jesus is speaking to this woman, and they're, they're, they're confused why he would be speaking to her. And Jesus clears up that confusion in verse number 32, and he tells them, he said to them, I have food to eat, which you do not know. And he says in verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I came to finish the work of the Father. We know from the saying of Christ on Calvary's cross when he uttered that phrase, to tell us die, it was finished. Jesus Christ did, in fact, finish the work that he was sent to do. All the work that needed to be done to secure our eternal salvation has already been done. But if you'll notice in the preceding verses, Jesus, especially verse 38, he tells those disciples, I'm sending you out into the work. I'm sending you out into my business. And the work that remains unfinished is the work of evangelism, the work of getting the good news out, the work that the church has been assigned to tell the world that Jesus Christ came to save sinners from their sin. That's the unfinished work. That's the work that you and I are to carry on. Carrying on the Father's business means that we are telling others the good news of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus was a boy of just 12 years of age? Every year, Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, and all the clan from Nazareth would leave that little dusty, dirty village in Nazareth, and they would make their trek to Jerusalem. Now, Nazareth, like Bethlehem in the first century, it was a little place, wasn't it, brother? It was a tiny little village of just a few dozen families. It was nothing to those little towns. Jerusalem, on the other hand, was a wonder of the world. Jerusalem is still a wonder of the world in the 21st century, I can't imagine how wonderful it must have been in the first century, how overwhelming that place must have been to someone from a town like Nazareth. So here this 12-year-old boy makes the trip over with his family for Passover. When Passover is done, they all load up and they're going to make their way back to their little village in Nazareth, and lo and behold, they get a day's journey away from the city, and they discover that Jesus is not among them. Mary thought Jesus was with Joseph. Joseph thought Jesus was with Mary, but he was with neither. So they turn around and go back for a day. And then they look for three days. Can you imagine how frantic 
this mother must have been looking for her 12-year-old son in the big city and bright lights of Jerusalem. You say, yes, but Mary knew that Jesus was the Son of God, so she was not worried. Well, I will agree with the first part of that. If anyone knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, born of a virgin, it was Mary. Mary was also a mother. You won't convince me for one moment that this mother was not frantically worried over her 12-year-old son. Of course she was. Finally, Mary and Joseph make their way to the temple, that magnificent temple. And they go there probably not necessarily thinking they're going to find Jesus there. Maybe they go there to pray. Father, show us where our son is. But as they walk in, they find Jesus Christ, their 12-year-old son, the son of God. And he's not running around the temple. He's not acting like a 12-year-old kid. He is seated with the doctors of the law. He is seated with the most knowledgeable men of the day. And he is astounding them with his knowledge and with his questions. And as Mary walks into that scene and she sees Jesus and she's surprised. And Jesus sees her and Jesus is surprised that she's surprised. <laughs> and she says something along these lines. Son, where have you been? Father and I have been worried about you. And certainly Joseph was the adoptive father of Jesus. So it was only natural to refer to him as that. And Jesus looks at his mother and he says, do you remember the words? What, don't you know? I must be about my father's business. And I will remind you, they did not find Jesus in the large Fancy carpentry shop of Jerusalem because he wasn't referencing his adoptive father, Joseph. He was referencing the business of our father who art in heaven. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. And in John chapter number four, we catch Jesus red-handed being about the father's business of seeking and saving that which is lost. And that's the work, that's the business that Jesus says, I'm sending you out. I'm sending us, the church, out to make them aware to make the world know that Jesus Christ can save and transform lives that is our work that is our business when I was a boy about the same age as Jesus was at 12 I didn't have nearly that um, wonderful of an, of an experience because I'm not Jesus but nevertheless I had sort of a, a, a life-changing experience because my my father changed jobs he, he started a, a his own business randy there's three of us merit boys and i come from a very blue collar family there's no preachers in my family there's they're, they're all blue collar they all uh, as a matter of fact every merit male including my son and all that went before me uncles fathers grand, every merit male is a plumber Every merit 
male is a plumber with one exception. And so uh, when I was about 12, my father decided he wasn't going to work for this large plumbing company in Atlanta anymore. They installed plumbing in high-rises in Atlanta. He decided he wanted to open up his own commercial plumbing business. Looking at his three boys and no doubt thinking that we were going to carry on the legacy of the Merritt Plumbing Dynasty, and I say all of that very tongue-in-cheek, he named his new fledgling company Merritt and Sons Plumbing. And to this day, my two brothers, I have an older brother, Jeff, and I have a younger brother, David. Jeff and David, because my father's in heaven with the Lord, Jeff and David own and operate Merritt and Sons Plumbing. It's a very successful commercial plumbing business that my dad started. They literally carry on my father's business. But dad had one son, pastor, that failed miserably in the family business. In fifth grade, my school teacher, Mrs. Long, went around the classroom and asked all the boys and girls, what do you want to be when you grow up? When it came to be my turn, I stood up at my desk and I said, Mrs. Long, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. But I know what I don't want to be when I grow up. (laughs) I don't want to be a plumber. (laughs) You might say that I failed miserably in my earthly father's business, but that's okay. God had a different path. But it's not okay for us to fail miserably in our father's business. I believe you're here today because like me and like Pastor Randy, you want to stand before the Lord someday and hear him proclaim to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. If you and I want to succeed and not fail in our Father's business, then we must emulate what our Savior did with the woman at the well. There are three principles that I will quickly share with you that will help us be successful in this endeavor. First, from verse number 9, if we are to succeed in our Father's business, we must believe that every soul is valuable to God Verse 9, we must believe that every soul is valuable to God. Brother Jonathan said that already this morning from the pulpit when he reminded us that this is the day that we celebrate the sanctity of human life. We do believe that every soul is valuable to God. When Jesus met this woman, she said, How is it that you're talking to me in public? How is it that you being a Jew would ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritan? She was absolutely astounded that Jesus Christ found worth and value in her. Even the disciples in verse 27 were taken aback, and they should not have been, but they were. They thought to themselves, why is Jesus talking to this woman? They didn't dare talk to Jesus about it. Now, they didn't ask him about it. But in their hearts, they were kind of thinking the same thing the woman at the well was thinking. What's going on here? Why are you finding worth and value in her? Jesus went out of his way 
Jews, as we know, would go around the west path or around the east path so that they did not have to congregate in Samaria because they hated the Samarians so much. But Jesus went out of his way. The Bible said he needed to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment with this woman. He risked his reputation for her. But he would soon die on the cross for her. That's how much he valued this woman. And you and I must see people through the same eyes that Christ saw them. People that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. People with addictions. People with brokenness. People with baggage. People that are very different in every aspect from us. Do you believe that Jesus Christ can still save from the guttermost to the uttermost? I do. I believe he can. If this church is to be the church that Jesus Christ wants you to be moving forward, thank God for your rich history. But all of us moving forward must be reminded that we must believe that every soul in this community is valuable to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't care what anybody thinks about me going to anyone with the gospel message. Let them talk. She's not valuable to the Lord Jesus Christ because of what she's done. As a matter of fact, what she's done is, has been just awful. Her life is in shambles. You know why she's valuable to the Lord Jesus Christ? Same reason I am, the same reason anybody is. Has nothing to do with us. Has everything to do with his amazing grace that we sang about this morning. Probably the first verse in scriptures that any of us ever learned was John 3, 16. And it speaks of how God thinks of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We are valuable to God based on God's amazing grace. We must see people the way that God does. We must believe that every soul is valuable to God. But there's a second principle. If we're to be successful in our Father's business, we must also acknowledge that not everybody's right with God. Jesus loves this woman. Jesus values this woman. But the Bible tells us in verse 22, when she wants to talk about worship and religion and God with Jesus, Jesus very bluntly tells her, ma'am, you don't know what you worship. In other words, he's saying, ma'am, you don't know God. Don't talk to me about worshiping God. You don't know God. You're not right with God, is what Jesus was saying. And just because God loves the world, and he does, and just because God values this community and everyone in it, that's true. But it doesn't mean everyone in this community right now is on their way to heaven. That's not true. Not everybody's right with God. It's not a popular message to preach today, but it's the truth. Now, Jesus is going to show this woman how she can get right with God, but at this moment, she's not. I fear one of the reasons that so many of our churches today are faltering is because 
we have lost, we meaning the church, those of us who have been radically born again, we have lost sight of the fact that there are people all around us who are yet in their sins. There are people all around us who don't have the peace and the purpose and the hope that you and I have in Christ Jesus. We, we almost have begun to take that for granted. Ladies and gentlemen, there are people in my family. I won't speak of yours. I'll speak of my own. There are people in my family today that are struggling with addiction. There are people in my family today that are struggling with purpose. They're struggling with their sins. They're struggling with their past. They wake up every day riddled with guilt. And I sit back reveling in the grace of God in which I exist. Shame on me. We must acknowledge that not everybody's right with God. There are people today that are hurting, that need desperately to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings me to my third and final principle. Yes, we must believe that every soul is valuable to God. We must also acknowledge that not everybody's right with God. But number three, we must believe that when it comes to the Father's business, every Christian can make a difference. When it comes to the Father's business, every Christian can make a difference. And here's what I mean by that. You see this woman, she leaves her water pots and she goes away into the city and she begins to tell people what Jesus Christ has done for her. And the Bible says many Samaritans of that city believed on Jesus because of the woman who testified. Now here's a woman who's not yet been baptized, Pastor Randy. That's important. I'm sure she was baptized very soon. She's not yet been to Sunday school. Sunday school is very important. She hadn't joined the choir or the WMU yet. She's never written her first tithe check yet. All of those things are wonderful, but they don't save you. But here is a woman, even with her past, even having been married and divorced five times, up until this point she had been living in sin out of wedlock with a man, with all of that baggage, she is still mightily used by God in the Father's business and bringing many souls to faith in Jesus Christ. If God can do that with her, what can he do with us? Thank God for your pastor. Thank God for your seminary training. And I don't say that to just, I'm, I'm serious. Thank God for that. That you can take this church and you can disciple them and you can lead them deeply. And that's a good thing. And thank God for that. But, but church, hear me. You don't have to have seminary training to be used in the Father's business. This woman had none. God can use all of us. You say, yeah, but my past. I don't care about your, your past is a testimony that where sin abounded, the grace of God does much more abound. Thank God for that. Thank God that your testimony is a living proof that the gospel of Jesus Christ really works. That's what that means. We see here that the disciples, although they're good men, they're God's men, and they're going to be used to do some incredible things after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nevertheless, these uh, disciples are a little bit distracted at this moment. They're not being involved in the father's business like this woman was 
They come back from getting lunch for Jesus. Why did it take 12 disciples to get lunch? I don't know. Maybe they all wanted to get credit for it. I don't know. But they all get the lunch. They all come back. And they, they look at Jesus talking to this woman. They're wondering, what's he doing there? It's almost as if they see her as a nuisance. That, that's, what I, that's what I get from this. They get back to the well, and they've got this food, and, and it's like they're looking at this woman, and they're saying, who are you? What are you doing talking? We've got his food. Lady, get out of the way. We've got food for the master. And that's why Jesus says, look, boys, I got food that you don't know anything about. My food's to do the will of the Father. My food is to carry on the Father's business. That's what I'm all about. The disciples looked at the woman at the well, and they saw a nuisance. They saw someone that was in their way. Jesus saw the woman at the well, and he saw what years of sin and brokenness had done to this woman. He saw it in her eyes. He saw that how she had no self-esteem. How she's not there in the cool of the morning or the cool of the evening because that's when the respectable women would come to the well. She's there at the heat of the day so that she doesn't have to see those respectable women and see their glares and their scorn. This is a woman broken by her past. This is a woman that has been dejected and rejected and has zero self-esteem. It is into this brokenness that Jesus Christ inserts his good news. But the disciples see none of that. And I wonder how many times in my life does God bring broken men and women across my path and I think to myself, I don't have time to deal with this. I have things to do. I have emails to send, Pastor. I have lessons to prepare. When the will of the Father, the business of the Father is for me to interject the good news into the lives of broken people. A few years ago, and I'll close right here. A few years ago, I was at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. In this particular year, the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting was in Indianapolis, Indiana. Dr. Matt C. Brady, Pastor Matt, that went with us to Israel, um, I saw him at the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. And he said, hey, let's, let's get lunch after the morning session. I said, that'd be great. You know, preachers getting together, we're going to have lunch. So we go after the morning session of the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting, Across from the big convention center, there was some restaurants and things across in the downtown Indianapolis. We find this place, it was called Weber Grill. And we go in there, it's like a 20-minute wait for lunch because there were so many business people and people from the convention. And we're starving, trying not to get hangry, if you know what I mean. They finally get us a table, they usher us to the back. And they, I guess they put some extra tables in because the crowd was so large. The table was like maybe the size of this pulpit, maybe not even that big. And we could just kind of crowd it in there to this little table. A waiter comes around to take our order. The waiter's name was Rob, <clears throat> R-O-B, Rob. And uh, <clears throat> he, he told us his name is why I remember it. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got a frog in my throat. And so um, Rob says, look, he looked at us and he says, are you guys at that? 
Baptist meeting across the street? And we said, yes. As a matter of fact, we are. He said, well, I'm a Catholic. He said, how, how, is, how is Baptist and Catholics different? Well, understand, busy restaurant, bunches of people waiting on this guy. He makes his living off of tips for giving good service. I know I don't have 20 minutes to talk about the Reformation and, and the 95 Theses and Martin Luther. So here's what I say. I say, Rob, God loves us. But despite the fact that God loves us, we are all sinners. We're sinners by nature. It means we were born that way. And we're sinners by choice. That means we choose to sin. We can't just blame the fact that we're sinners by nature. And the Bible teaches us that our sin separates us from God. God is holy and God is righteous and God is pure. And I am none of those things. And the Bible also teaches us that no amount of good works that I can do can make up for the fact that I have sinned I have defiled God's standard of holiness and righteousness and separated myself from God. I cannot save myself by doing good things. But the good news is Jesus Christ, only begotten, Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, came to this earth, lived a sinless life. He died on the cross in my place. All of the wrath, all of the punishment that God had reserved for me, Jesus Christ took that upon himself when he died upon the cross. He was raised again the third day. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And now he tells us that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And I said, Rob, that's exactly what I did years ago. I called upon the Lord to save me. I told him that I was a sinner. I didn't deserve heaven, but I believe he died in my place. And I trusted him to be my Lord and Savior. Rob, has anything like that ever happened to you? And he said, I told you, I'm a Catholic. And with that, he took our order back to the kitchen. Didn't get saved. You know, great, great sermon, terrible invitation, right? Unbeknownst to us, seated this close at the other crammed in table was a lady with her family. She leaves her family. She gets up. She comes to our little table. I'm standing in the pulpit, so I'm, I promise you I'm not lying or even exaggerating one bit. Matt Brady can back all of this up. She gets on her knees, and she puts her hands on the table like this. And I don't remember her exact words, but it was something along the lines of, that's the kind of thing I want. Something, alike, something to that effect, that's the kind of thing I want. That, that's how I remember it. Maybe, might, not, might not have been exactly what she said. So we think she's heard the gospel, and she wants to get saved. So Pastor Matt jumps in. Well, God loves us despite the fact that we're saved. She goes, no, please. She said, I've been saved since I was 12. She said, but every morning when the kids get off to school, I get in the Bible and I start my devotional time with Jesus. And lately, the Lord has been convicting my heart that I never speak the name of Jesus outside the home or outside the church. Now, she didn't say this, but really what she was saying was, I'm not involved in the Father's business. I'm not spreading the good news. And she said, I saw you guys conversing with this Rob and this waiter, and, and God just smote my heart. That's what I want to be able to do. Now, full disclosure, I was a little hangry. And that means you're hungry and you get a little you know, get a little frustrated. So I never would have brought Jesus up to the waiter. I'm just, be, I'm not bragging on that. I'm just, I'm being honest with you. He asked me. 
So I'm not the hero of the story. I did it reluctantly, and God forgive me for that. I'm sure, I'm sure the Lord will have something to say about that. But nevertheless, she said, I saw you guys conversing with this waiter, and I said, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to speak the name of Jesus. I want to tell someone about the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and yet I keep my mouth silent. I never speak the name of Jesus. She said, I'm so afraid I'll say the wrong thing that I'm just crippled with fear. I don't say anything. So Dr. Brady had some really good, I don't remember what he said, but he had some really good encouragement for her. I think he even prayed with her. And when he was through and before she went back to her table, I said, ma'am, can I just say one thing? She said, yes. I said, do you remember the woman at the well? She said, well, of course. Of course I remember the story of the woman at the well. I said, if you'll remember what she did, all she did was tell others what Jesus had done for her. And you literally can't mess that up. Church, if we want to be involved in the Father's business, tell someone what Jesus has done for you. You can't mess that up. With heads bowed and eyes closed, as our pastor comes forward to receive you, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. I'm going to ask you if you would to please quietly and reverently stand to your feet as our song leader comes to lead us in a song. And as I pray, perhaps you're here today and you are actively involved in the Father's business, then maybe you can pray for some open doors this week to share the good news. Or maybe you're like the unnamed woman at the well. We don't even know her name. And that is your life's in shambles. I want to tell you that Jesus Christ loves and values you so much that he not only risked his reputation by associating with you, but he died on the cross for your sins. Won't you come this morning and take this pastor by the hand and receive the same free gift of eternal life and forgiveness and peace and purpose that the unnamed woman at the well received? Or perhaps you're like the unnamed woman in Indianapolis, Indiana. I don't know her name either. She never told me. And that is, maybe you're a believer. You love Jesus Christ with all of your heart. You love this church. You love this pastor. But yet, you only speak the name of Jesus in this church and in your home. I pray today, my prayer for you and for me, is that you and I would be involved in carrying on the Father's business. Father, in the name of Jesus, Please speak to our hearts today as we get honest with you during this moment of invitation. In Christ's name, amen.